All right, children up to the age of three can go to the back at this time. And for the rest of us, let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We, uh, of course, we've started a, a new book. And uh, for the past two weeks, we've been digging into Ephesians chapter 1. We'll continue that today as well. Um, you know, the, the message so far has been um, to, to the church. It has been, uh, when I say to the church, I mean to those who are in Christ. Uh, these are wonderful blessings uh, to the church that we received, uh, that we received through Christ. And that's something that Paul wants everyone to know. He makes it very evident that these blessings are given to us are in Christ, and they're very, very, very important. In fact, without these blessings, without these gifts from God, uh, we, we could not live out our Christian faith. Uh, in fact, there's no way that we would be saved. That's how important and vital they are to our life and to our spiritual walk. Because we're talking about things that are essential and foundational. Uh, it's, it's, it's our starting point, right? And, and it's also our ending point. God is taking care of both the starting and the ending point for us. And then also he sanctifies us through all of it too as well. So these things are extremely important. Like some of the things we've talked about, verses 1 through 6, how the Father elects uh, the, his church. He elects, make, let me make it personal, he elects you in the beloved. So in Christ, God has elected you. Uh, he, is, he has grabbed you out of, uh, out of an abundance of people. And he has formed you into uh, what, he, what he calls and what he acknowledges as his bride, as his church. And so now you get to serve him. You, you get to serve him. And it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And that's what Paul talks about in verses 1 through 6. And by the way, he did this before the foundations of the earth were formed. That means he did it without any influence on him. Uh, he, he did it for his own pleasure and for his own purpose. And then verses 7 through 10 we talked about we who were elected were also redeemed, and that means we were bought back. But even more than that, not only were we bought back from our, from our slave owner, the enemy, the devil, uh, but when, when God bought us back, everything we did for our owner, every evil thing we've done is forgiven in Christ's blood. So we are redeemed, and now we are free to serve him. But so that's what I mean about the beginning, and then today we're going to talk about the end, how beautiful it is to see that not only has God taken care of the beginning for us, but also the end, because he says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in verses 11 through uh, 14. So let's go ahead and read those, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper. It says, in him we have obtained an, an inheritance, having predestined, or excuse me, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what a wonderful way to end uh, that section of scripture. Obviously, we're not done with chapter one, but uh, for that section of scripture, um, it, it's a wonderful ending for that. After that, Paul makes a, a transition into thanksgiving and prayer. Uh, so specifically today, we're talking about how and what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And 
to be, what we have to understand is to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, it, again, this is a power that is unique uh, to the church. This is a blessing, rather, that is unique uh, to the church and only belongs to the church. That is what separates us from everybody else in the world. Uh, we, as believers, have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, the fact that God has sealed us for, um, with the Holy Spirit gives us hope in the face of any adversity we could ever, uh, we could ever face, right? Anything that, we, that could ever come before us. Uh, this world, we have trouble. This world, we struggle. This world, we, we try to strive and, and make it every single day. Uh, we, have, we have issues in our relationships. We have issues everywhere. Uh, but yet, we are not abandoned. We, we are not forsaken. And the reason why we are not those things is because the, the Lord has given us his spirit to guide us and guard us every single day. And his spirit lives in us. And, it, and, and, and he... He connects us to the Father and to the Son. So his work is extremely important. He communicates God's words to us. Uh, he, he, he does all kinds of wonderful things for us. In the end, he will, when, when you breathe your last breath, he will take you uh, to be with the Father and the Son. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing that, that we have in the Holy Spirit and everything that he does. But the Holy Spirit is for the church. And, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit to face adversity, to face trouble, and also to bring comfort and peace to our lives. Because we know that ultimately, even though things may not be working out right now, and it may feel like things are falling apart right now, we know ultimately we have been given a promise from the Lord that, that things will be made right. Things will work out. What we have to accept that it's not going to be according to our will, but it's going to be according to the will of the Lord, because he is the one who is sovereign over all. And that's what Paul is saying here in verses one through 14, or rather 11 through 14. Now, of course, this hope can only be accepted and understood through faith. When we talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that's something that we have not seen yet. We have not experienced yet. Our loved ones who have gone to be with the Lord they have experienced it to a further degree because they, they who have placed their faith in Christ, who are no longer here right now, they are with the Lord, right? So they've, they've seen it to a further degree than we have. Right now, we, we are here on this earth and we're still, we're still struggling. We're still keeping on keeping on. But yet no one has seen the, the complete fulfillment of this, this sealing that the Holy Spirit does because this sealing is, is, is pointing at the coming of Christ. That's what this, this sealing is, is, is pointing towards. God has sealed us for the day of, of redemption. God has sealed us for the day of, of the return of the Lord. And on that day, we're going to realize, or we're going to realize what it means fully to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, to be kept all these years until that day, right? And it's going to be a wonderful and glorious day. But there are some things that Paul says here that are very important for us to understand. Uh, first of all, verse 11, I, I think that's worth rereading there. He says, in him, again, nothing starts without Christ. So in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul affirms God's sovereignty here again you know, and, and this time he actually paints it with a broader brush. 
Because before, it was specific to his sovereignty in, in election, his sovereignty in redemption. And obviously, it, he's speaking about God's sovereignty in, in, in keeping us. But Paul goes on to say that in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works. And here's the key word, all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul before was like a, a, a he was very precise, like, like a surgeon going in and, and, and focusing on one thing that they're going to work on. They know exactly where to cut. They make a, an incision right where it needs to go. They work on that. That's the way Paul was working before. But here he's saying, listen, God is not only sovereign in his, his electing of the church. He's not only sovereign in, in his redeeming of the church. God is sovereign in all things. All things. See, God is the creator. You are the creature. That's what Paul is saying. There's, there's comfort in that. Paul is writing this to a church that, that all the churches, even though this was a healthy church, it was, there didn't seem to be a lot of issues at the time, they still needed comfort. What better way to be comforted than to tell somebody, you worship a sovereign God. And, and he works all things to the counsel of his will. I know that's comforting for us to hear today because as we look at the world, it seems like the world is falling apart. There's no order. Seems like all hope is lost. But you're being reminded this morning, Christian. God works all things. All things. According to his will. See, I like the way Paul writes out this verse because he's speaking in the past tense. In verse 11, he says, or he uses the word obtained. See, the reason why we have already obtained our inheritance points back to the very beginning of this chapter when Paul says that we were predestined before the foundation of the world. So the reason why Paul uses the word obtained Speaking of our inheritance, it's because we were predestined by God. See, in Christ, our inheritance is a sure thing. It's a sure thing. See, we have a, we have a difficulty understanding that. Because we know that there is nothing, on this nothing in this world that's a sure thing. We don't know what 100% is. We really don't. Because according to the way we gauge things, 100% is perfection. If a doctor tells you you have 90% to live, you're going to worry about that, aren't you? That 10%, that's worrisome. Even if he tells you your chances of living are 98%, you're still like, oh, what about that? That's gonna, that 2%, that's going to be me. I know it's going to be me. See, nothing in this world is a sure thing, but with God, with God, there is a sure thing. Why? Because he is sovereign. See, that's the reason why there's never a sure thing with us, because we can't control things. Things are out of our hands. But, but God, he's not like us. 
He is sovereign. So Paul talks about us obtaining an inheritance, past tense. Because why? Because it is God who is in charge. It is God who is sovereign. It is God who is working all things according to the counsel of his own will. See, our inheritance is a sure thing because it depends on the will of God and not our own. So this promise that we have from the Lord, it's not going to be taken away from us. It's not going to be changed. Why? Because who can change the mind of God? It, It can't happen. Who can change the will of God? It can't happen. So Paul is saying, if God has elected you, he's redeemed you, then then nobody, nothing can change that. Then you are sealed. You have obtained your inheritance. It may not be, uh, it maybe it hasn't come to fruition. It hasn't come to fulfillment, but it is yours. It is yours because you worship a sovereign God who has already determined that you will receive your inheritance. So yes, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And it's a wonderful thing that God is all-powerful. He's self-sufficient. He, he's not like us. It's such a wonderful thing. I was thinking about this as I was writing this sermon. It, it kind of made me laugh. And some of you have heard this story before, but it, I think it fits well here. It fits well here with, with what I'm talking about, about you know, God working all things according to the counsel of his will and him being all-powerful and self-sufficient. This was about probably about 13 years ago now. Back then, I was running a lot, and I was training for a half marathon, and I can't remember if it was before or after. If it was 13 years ago, it was before the, marathon, the half marathon, because that's where Pastor Laramie and I, we, we met, and then we started uh, really developing a relationship through that running. And I was, I was running around the neighborhood, and I, I remember, it's funny, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I do remember how long I was running, because it was... It was torturous. It was, it was a tough run. I remember that day I was trying to run eight miles. And I was, I, I was running at night. And my whole run, and I call it a run, it was more like a, a, a jog, you know. So I'm jogging and I'm, I'm right at the, 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 the stretch, the home stretch. My house is about six blocks away. But I'm barely making it. Barely making it. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to tell my body, just put one foot in front of the other. I just have a little bit more to go. And I'm, I'm, I'm drenched in sweat. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. And my body starts saying, you only have six blocks. Let's just walk the last five blocks. So I'm losing my determination. I'm losing my patience. I'm losing everything I have within me, right? And, and as I'm, I'm going to start walking, all of a sudden, I hear two big bangs, like right beside me. It felt like they were, somebody was standing right beside me. I heard two big bangs, and, and these bangs were, it sounded like a handgun going off or, or a shotgun going off. It was like bang, bang, just two real quick like that. My body, my mind went from being tired, focused on that, to forgetting about that completely and taking off on dead sprint. Like, everything left me, right? I didn't need any, at that point, I had enough motivation to not be tired anymore. I, I was going to finish strong. And I, 
and you know, when you hear something like that, you think gun, you're either going to go on the ground or you're going to run. My, my decision was to run that night. And as I'm running away, I look back, and it's this guy. I, 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 I look back, and I, I see him swinging something against the house. And what he was doing, the best I could make out, he had like a rubber mat out of his car, and he was swinging and hitting the house so that he could clean off the rubber mat. But that was the gun that I thought was going off. So I, I, I ran as fast as I could. I forgot about everything, how tired I felt, how my body hurt, uh, the, the power that I was lacking. I needed that motivation. And I think about that in life. How many times do we need that in life? We need motivation. We feel like we can't make it another day. We feel like we can't take another step. And then the Lord brings something into our lives and we realize there's more. But only the Lord can bring it out of us. But listen, the Lord doesn't need that. Think about how mind-blowing it is that the Lord is sovereign over everyone's life, over every creature he has ever created. He does not get tired. He does not lose power. He's self-sufficient. He doesn't need motivation. He's self-sufficient in everything that he does, and he's all-powerful. So, yes, when we think about ourselves, let's not compare ourselves exactly to the Lord. Because, as I said before, he is not like us, and that should bring us comfort that through the good, bad, and ugliness of life, God is working all things according to the purpose of his will. And it's all resulting in the praise of his glory. Last week we talked about in verse 10 how, how he's working out everything so that everything can be united in Christ. That's the purpose of his glory. He is uniting all things under Christ. So listen to this, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. Everything that happens to you has a purpose. Everything that happens to you has a purpose. See, under God's sovereign hand, nothing is wasted. And under his sovereign hand, nothing is taken away. And that includes the blessing of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, not only is he sovereign, but Paul says that his work is effective. It is extremely effective. Look at verse 13. See, Paul affirms God's sovereignty here, but then he goes and transitions to how his sovereignty is effective in doing what he sets out to do. When we talk about it being effective, it's so effective that it's perfect. It's perfect. Look at verse 13. He says here, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, God's work is perfect in that he always accomplishes what he has determined for his word. That is the, that is the, the beautiful thing about it. We know that people come to faith through the preaching of the gospel. 
we don't know who's, we don't know who's elected. We don't know who's saved. That's, that's God's business. God says, you go and preach the gospel to everyone. My spirit will work things out within them. You be faithful and preach the gospel. So as we are faithful and we go and preach the gospel, Paul's telling the church here that people who hear it and, and people who are in, in, enticed, who are approached, who are overcome by the Holy Spirit, that that word that is preached to them will be the gospel of their salvation. That's how effective God's work is and God's word is. See, the effect of the gospel is not the burden of the preacher, is not the burden of the giver of the gospel. The burden, the burden belongs to God. And God says, I don't ever miss. I don't ever miss a person. God says, my word, it accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. I love uh, the passage out of Isaiah. Isaiah 55. This is what he says in Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11 about his word. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. Now listen here. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. But then you start asking questions and say, well, I've shared the gospel over and over with my family and they haven't, they haven't responded God's word does not miss. It has achieved its purpose. His work is extremely effective. Let's look at the order that Paul says here in verse 13 of Ephesians 1. He says, you heard the word of truth. You believed in him and you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. You see, there are some things that we have to follow the logic here. If we're saying that, that God's word is extremely effective, in fact, it's so effective, it's perfect. And God's work is completely perfect in all that he does. And that he is sovereign in all that he does. This is what Paul is saying. You as a church, you heard the word of truth, you believed in him. He was sovereign in that. He is also sovereign in the fact that you are sealed by this holy, by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, Paul is, is pointing out the fact that God is effective in his work in saving you. He's going to be effective in his work in finally redeeming you or glorifying you. We are redeemed. He will be effective in his work in glorifying you. When we talk about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means to be marked by God. It means to be marked by him. It's like your kids when they're, they're, they're walking in the store. They'll say, hey, there's that Garcia boy, right? 
There's that Gildan kid, right? There's that night boy. I, I can go on and on and on. They're marked. They're marked by their parents, so to speak. They carry the father's last name. And in, in a similar way, we are marked by God. We are marked by him as his sheep. We belong to his fold. We don't belong to anyone else. Remember, we were redeemed. When we had a different shepherd, when we had an abusive shepherd, when we had a shepherd that held us in slavery to sin, we didn't have that mark. But when our Redeemer bought us, we came into his fold, he gave us the mark. That's what it means to be sealed. We have this mark of God, and that mark is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I said in the very beginning, the world does not have that mark. You do. If you are in Christ, you do. You belong to the shepherd. And because you belong to the shepherd, you receive his blessings. I think it's awesome that's the way Paul starts this whole book. He wants them to know, listen, you, you belong to God. And because you belong to God, in Christ, you receive these wonderful, foundational, essential blessings. We walk around sometimes thinking we, we don't have enough. And God says, no, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's wonderful to see and know that we have our owner's mark on us. So we have this promise. We know that God is sanctifying us. And he has marked us. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that he is working all things for his glory and our good. And though you are not perfect now, listen to this. He is perfectly working out his will for your life through, life, through your life circumstances. And he's going to do this all the way to the end. His work is effective. It is perfect. And we can trust him. And we know that it will be completed. And this is my favorite part. Verse 14. He talks about that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit in verse 13. And then he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? So he's talking about the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This like took me way back. I could have just preached a sermon on this verse because when I hear this, it, it takes me back to the beginning and it takes me back to God's relationship with man after creation. We know that in the garden, man sinned. Man sinned and, 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 and you know, sinned spread to all as Romans, the book of Romans says and teaches. But God promised an inheritance to his people. In the Old Testament, it was the Jews and the New Testament and included the Gentiles. Even though Adam and Eve sinned against God, he made a covenant with them. 
made a promise and said, you will receive an inheritance. Those who are, basically those who are in Christ. Those of the covenant promise. Now, the original inheritance, as we read the Old Testament, was the land flowing of milk and honey. It was this picture-perfect land for the Israelites. And we see them in the Old Testament, God guiding them to that promised land. We see the issues that they have in not obeying the Lord, them not receiving that land, finally getting there, and then destroying the land and destroying their relationship with the Lord. Sin after sin after sin. Right? So that's, that's a picture of, of the Old Testament and, 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 and this whole inheritance thing. And God says that they, he told them as they took possession of this land, he said, if you live according to my righteous decree, you would permanently take possession of it. That's what we were told in the Old Testament. But the problem was, was that the law, the law that God handed down to the Israelites, it basically showed man's inability to live according to God's perfect decree. It brought out the sin in them. And that, that made it impossible for them to take possession of his inheritance. The inheritance that God had promised the Israelites in the Old Testament. But God did what man could not. And he sent his son to fulfill the law perfectly. That's what he had planned all along. To fulfill the law, Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and died as a sacrifice. We talked about this last week to redeem us, to redeem us from the consequences of our sin. Now, let's fast forward to Ephesians 1 here and what Paul is saying in verse 14. Knowing knowing what I just told you. Now, in verse 14, Paul says, that believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look, look at this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? What's the difference? I told you that in the Old Testament, they could not live according to the law. They could not fulfill the law. They fell short of it every time. It just brought out their sin. How can, that, how, how can an inheritance be guaranteed to a people who can't live to their, part, to, to their part of the bargain, to their part of the covenant. Because we have a redeemer. We have a redeemer. We have Christ who came and who, di- who lived perfectly and died perfectly so that we could be forgiven. So then therefore, Paul, here in verse 14, can say that we who are in Christ we have been redeemed. We have received the Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. See, what God had promised as an inheritance in the Old Testament, it was really a foreshadow of the blessing that is being promised to us now. And that is us being in the presence of God. That's what the promised land symbolized. This promised land of uh, this, this wonderful land of milk and honey, it was of God's blessings and protection. 
And when we are finally in his presence for eternity, that's exactly what we're going to get. His blessings and his protection. And, and what Paul's saying here is that it is a guarantee because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, see, we don't have anywhere to point except for Christ. Because of Christ's redeeming work on the cross, all believers, Jews and Gentiles, will acquire possession of their inheritance. Paul says it is a guarantee. So in Christ, we will all be with God. We will all be with him. Not only is he the giver of the inheritance, this is what's so cool about it. He is the inheritance. That's so awesome. He is the one who is giving the blessing, but he is the blessing. See, we have already been marked. We have already been sealed. It's ours to receive. And again, we have a hard time with this because we, we, we don't experience anything, this kind of type of guarantee here on this earth. If someone walked up to you today and said, in a year, I'm going to give you a million bucks. I guarantee it. Go ahead and spend the money now, and in a year, I'm going to give it to you. How confident would you be about doing that? Not very confident, right? Not very confident at all. But see, God has said in his word, this inheritance that I've promised you, it's already yours. And it's not yours because of what you've done. In fact, you don't deserve it. But yet, because I am gracious and because I am the Lord and according to my own purpose and for my own glory, I'm giving you this inheritance. It's guaranteed. So now you, you don't have to work for your salvation. The work's already been done on the cross. Your inheritance has already been paid for. Now, don't get me wrong. I said you don't have to work for your salvation. I didn't say you don't have to work. Because what the Bible tells us is now we are to live for Christ, who is our inheritance. We are to live for him out of service, out of worship. But we're not working to to earn anything. When it comes to our accounts, our accounts haven't been settled with God. We are far behind. We are in debt. We can never work off that debt. But our work is to be one of worship, one of service to a wonderful shepherd, a wonderful master who treats us better than we deserve. Yes, Paul says, the Father elects us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit, he keeps us. That's why when we get to chapter 2, he plainly says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And Don't start bragging about it because you ain't done nothing. You 
You didn't bring nothing. The good Lord elected you, redeemed you, and he has sealed you for the day of glorification. What a wonderful God we serve. So while you live, and even after you die, no matter if your body sees decay, no matter if you were cremated or not, no matter what happens to your body, it's going to be raised one day. For us, we're like, how, how, can, how is that possible? For the Lord, it's, it's nothing. He will bring our bodies. They will be reunited with our spirits. God has sealed us. He knows all those who are his. And on that day when we see the sun coming in the clouds, we will fully understand what it means to be sealed and to be glorified by God. The King of Kings has sealed you to take possession of you. And he has taken possession of you for himself. Nothing in this life and nothing in the next life can change that. That's why we can know that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. In closing, it's a wonderful way that Paul starts this book, and I'm glad we started off like this, just getting into Ephesians. He starts off by showing us how, how tremendously blessed we are. As his church, as his people, he has given us gifts that, that, that go far beyond what we need. See, we are chosen by the Father, we are redeemed by the Son, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Because of the Beloved, and with the help of these gifts, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Now, what should our response be? Hearing this, so I, I, think, I think we can go a lot of different ways. First of all, praise to God, but we should all place our faith firmly on God and rely on these gifts. Just the fact that we are in Christ, just the fact that we have been elected, redeemed, and we have been sealed, just that, if that's all we received in life, it would be enough. See, that's what we have to remember. That's what Paul talks about, how, how we, we need to remember how blessed we are just to be who we are. But our sinful nature, what we do is we tend to start looking around us. We look at other people and, and the insignificant things that they have and we want. We start thinking about how things aren't fair. We lose focus. We lose focus of the creator. And we start worrying too much about his creation. Trying to take possession, trying to dominate, trying to gain things for ourselves. 
Yes, God has sealed you for the day of Christ's, of Christ's return. And if you live to be 100 and Christ doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, God's seal still stands. So as we leave this place, we need to remember this. Be content with what the Lord has given you, number one. Be content. Yeah, even in your troubles, I know it's hard. But even in your troubles, remember, nothing is wasted with the Lord. He is sovereign over all things. So whether good, whether bad, whether horrible, it's working out his purpose in your life. And if you are his, the purpose of that is for your good and his glory. So let's work on being content with what we have and what the Lord has given us. But also be of good courage. Be of good courage. The Lord is with you. Who can stand against you? You're free to live for him. You're free to serve him. You're free to worship him. Be of good courage. And do the work of the Lord. That's why he made you. That's why he saved you. He saved you for himself. Be of good courage. Do the work of the Lord.